are you? Certainly no singer. You're the piano tuner you claim it to be. You see through me, Kate. No tuner I. I wish it were amongst my talents to play piano for you. Tis a sad state indeed. You're the only man I know who suffereth from pianist envy. Welcome to the show, Moonlighting fans. Whether you're a Moonlighting fan from way back when, or whether you are new to Moonlighting and you want to know what all the hype is about, you have come to the right place. Hi, I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. And we're your hosts for the podcast that is all about Moonlighting. When we talk about Moonlighting, we're talking about the Emmy award-winning 80s TV series starring Bruce Willis and Simple Shepherd. So if you're a fan of theirs, you're going to want to stay tuned as we review all 66 episodes. We hope you enjoy this journey with us because we are going to be watching the series episodes one by one and discussing them every week. Now, this is going to take several years, as you can imagine, so please join us because we are going to have so much fun along the way. We will also be releasing bonus episodes of interviews with creators, cast and crew to extend your listening experience. That's right. And we really want to include our Moonlighting fans in this project as much as possible. So write to us and let us know what your thoughts are. And even if you have some trivia to disclose, our email address is fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com. And we will include you in our future episodes. So stay with us. Shauna and I are beyond excited to finally bring Moonlighting into the 21st century for some serious discussions. You up for it, Shauna? I sure am. Well, let's get started. Really um, fun to work with. God, I'm blanking on his name. His son's an actor. Who's our, our stunt guy? Oh, Chris Howell. Oh, Chris Howell. Chris Howell. Chris Powell is like a good old boy stuntman, right? You could just be on a Friday night. He goes down and he sits with the stuntman. They probably drink beers and tell war stories. But he knew his stuff. And, I, I mean, he would come to us with ideas. I remember one time he wanted to do these flexi flyers. I, I think we did that. I think it was an episode. That was Chris's idea. Um, what is it? Using those like flexi flyers, those, what do you call those things? They're like a, a board on four wheels. One of the earlier episodes, you could just pitch anything to them. And think, oh, okay, we'll make that work. We'll make it happen in, in stunts. I uh, want to know if it's true about the BMW, because in one of the commentaries, they said that that's not the BMW, obviously, that they use daily. It was one they found in another state that they got for free because there was a dead body found in it. Now, I don't know if that's true. Oh, I remember a rumor about it, but I actually don't know if that's true. I probably heard the same thing you did, but um, I truly don't know. I wish uh, <laughs> I wish I could say, yeah, that'd be great. But I don't know. I don't know. That's so How very moonlighting. They should have left the body it's, it's, in there. And that's the murder mystery. <laughs> would have been kind of cool to have the staff investigate a murder, wouldn't it? That, that would have yeah. been great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about... The final title choices, like um, Blast from oh, the Past, was, um, how was that decided? Uh, that was all over the place. Glenn had final word on that. My memory is we probably all titled our episodes when we would turn them in. But I think I think Glenn changed a fair number of titles, but I don't know. I can't remember what the other writers put. I believe Atomic Shakespeare was Glenn's title. I don't think we Glenn's did. That title and I hate it. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't like that. So what did you title it? I don't actually remember. And, and maybe we didn't because of the way it was written last second. I'm not even sure we got a title on that one. I don't know. No, everything yeah. on that was uh, so seat of our pants. You know, I 
I think the idea about the kid doing the homework came very late. I remember thinking of that much later in the process and because we had to find a wraparound that that made it all make sense. And, Mm -hmm. you know, all of that was just kind of some of it's a bit of a blur because it was all happening so fast, you know, very weird. So I'm not I'm not positive. It doesn't sound familiar. I don't think think we did. I just never understood what Atomic Shakespeare meant. Well, for the Atomic Age, it was Shakespeare for the Atomic Age, but I'm not defending it. I'm trying to explain what he was after, but uh, yeah. Right. Um, I'm really interested in this. You must have some thoughts about how it finally happened that Maddie and David slept together. And I'm curious, Maddie, I'm sure there were lots of ideas about the different ways that you could finally get them together. For myself, I don't totally love that whole sequence of how they got together. David, you know, just being in her bed, her thinking it's, Sam, you know, them fighting and him saying, I'm not going to force myself on you and hitting each other. <laughs> but maybe that's very Maddie and David. But I'm sure there were lots of ideas. So what are your thoughts on how that happened? Well, By the way, I, I do think, I mean, that whole period also became a very staff broken down cluster. But, you know, I mean, Glenn, that was his idea that they should sleep together by this point anyway. Well, more specifically, I actually remember the whole Mark Harmon trilogy and the aftermath that led to that episode, it was all staff written. I can't remember what the credits were. I think a lot of times the staff did a bunch of it and then we, and we traded off credits. If you got screenplay or story or both, you know. I am curious, Maddie, Glenn and I got teleplay and the rest of the gang got story by. And I think, I don't know if it just came to that or part of the reason was I actually wrote that last scene. I wrote the whole last part. I think maybe even before there might've been a, is that still in there? Does, does, is Sam over there arguing with, with David before all that no. happens? I can't no. remember if that was part of it or not. They have but the fight in the garage. I forget where I started, but I, but I came in at least at the beginning of Maddie's house. And I had David asleep on the sofa. And Maddie comes in and, yeah, and, and kind of, um, you know, is, is talking to him like she doesn't know it's him and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then he reveals himself that he fell asleep on the couch waiting for her, essentially. And the scene is similar. Um, uh, You know, a lot of it's the same. A lot of the words are the same. But in mine, they made their way upstairs. In fact, I think maybe I think I did have um, the bitch bastard and maybe the slaps. I forget if I had the slaps. I think I did. I know you don't like them that much. And I'm not sure I can defend it, but it, it felt I just I just wanted to elevate it a little bit there and then i think you cut to upstairs off that um and they're in the bedroom but glenn and i won't even argue it i didn't like him being in her bed i just thought it was wrong but glenn just wanted to kind of make it stand out i think you know like this is a thing we've been waiting for let's get a little more controversial you know i think all of that and i didn't love it but i kind of understood the reason for it so mm-hmm. a fair amount of the scene, you can blame me and, and maybe all of us if we worked the story out together. I can't remember how that went. But the bed part was Glenn in his rewrite. Mixed feelings. Don't like it, but get it. You know, that's it's that kind of thing for me. So that's the, the detail of it. Anyway, production tidbit, you know, when they're rolling around together on the floor. I, I don't know if Glenn mentioned this or, or Jay, but they were standing up. That was actually against the wall because for some reason heard, they couldn't get the shot. Because of the injury and the... Yeah, yeah because of his collarbone and, and she was yeah. pregnant. Yeah. yeah. But was that the only idea? Because them sleeping together, that was in motion. 
before the injury and before her getting pregnant and things like that. So was that the only idea about how they would eventually get together? There's an interview with Sybil and Bruce um, during Every Daughter's Father is a Virgin, um, which is season two, where Bruce says that that scene's already been written for them to get together. But that's way before they got together. And, you know, I, I don't know if he's just talking or what. He's just, he's um, just talking. Well, we knew they would eventually, but there was no thought of doing it that early. That was just him yeah, joking. Was, I mean, you know. We knew we were going to do three episodes and we knew we had Mark Harmon. And that much was carved in still, you know, but we okay. were pitching. And it, it began, that trilogy began with the thing with the two blondes. We were pitching it to Glenn as we were going. We were pitching well, this and this and this. And so maybe even that scene Jeff's talking about is probably pitched, you know. All we knew at that point was we had three episodes to finish the season and we okay. had Mark Harmon. Okay. To answer your question a little more. There was never any thought earlier of them sleeping together. When David made the comment in the season before in Every Father's Daughter, we weren't planning that episode, that season at all. You know, that wasn't going to happen. And I don't remember specifically talking about when it should. We didn't plan way in advance. It's got to happen second to last episode of third season. We didn't say that. But um, we knew, I'm going to guess, I don't know if you remember, Ron, but I'm going to guess in the midst of doing the Mark Harmon stuff, we kind of thought we got to come out of this with them sleeping together. I, I think my memory is that things heated up so much in this triangle, you know, that if you didn't pay it off, you know, with that kind of finish, that it, yeah. it just would be a letdown. It'd be a, it'd be a disappointment because that was the most intense it got and the most David showed how much he really wanted her, you know, that kind of thing. So my memory is somewhere along that line, we said, God, that we got to end it with that. Yeah. I knew we were building toward it. I don't, I don't remember how far back. It's funny, getting back to this notion of spec scripts, we would get sent a lot of spec room-letting scripts. And of course, side writers, it's always difficult for them to be in the room and understand what our thinking is. But the most common spec script we would get is the episode where they sleep together. They were always just unreadable, you know, because it was always hard to capture the show to begin with. But to take something that big. Oh, yeah. But it was not good. It did not end well. On really? The Really fun reading 300 sex scenes, though. You know, that was kind of <laughs> Yeah, all the different ways that that could happen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I think yeah. once you brought Mark Harmon into the mix, you know, you've got that love triangle. Something had to give. That's yeah. kind of what I One way or another. He was, he was great. I mean, at that point, he dropped into a dysfunctional set, getting pages, you know, the day of. And, and he was so cool. And when he finished his part, he came up to the writer's room and thanked us. He, he talked about how great Aww. the scripts were, what a great time That's he had. Nice. And that was such really a nice man. Yeah, yeah he really was. We had worked yeah. with his wife on Mork and Mindy, our first job, Pam yeah. Dauber. Well, the dress that's cut down to South America, that seems to be a line that's uh, stuck with, like, I think Mark Harmon <laughs> even said that they still say that at their house, you know, that, um, are you wearing a dress that's you know, cut down to South America? South America. And, yeah. You know, yeah. There's certain lines from Moonlighting. And in fact, uh, with Atomic Shakespeare, you know, there's lines from that that I um, love and say, you know, we say it out in the world. No one knows what we're talking about because they're not Moonlighting fans, but, um, <laughs> or just say it to myself, you know, like. No tuna rye. <laughs> no, oh Which yeah, no, no tuna rye. No, no tuna rye. I was hoping you weren't going around saying pianist envy to too many people. <laughs> pianist <laughs> envy. <laughs> uh, so Bruce says in that Atomic Commentary, which is fun to listen to, it's the only one that they do together. They said, no tuner eye, like five episodes after that. Like that was a line that stuck with them. 
<laughs> you know, behind the scenes or whatever. I don't know if you guys are aware of, of those kind of things. Um, By the way, did I mention we were not invited to participate in that? I think you said something about it. I yeah. Think, yeah. That is a shame. That is, should have been like you two and Sublim Bruce. That would have been fun. That would have been fun. Yeah. For instance. Yeah. yeah. For instance, yeah. for example, you know, the writers. I enjoy your commentary that you did with Alan Arkish on Comeback Little Shiksa. That was good. Cool. Oh, thanks. That was informative thanks. about the claymation and I got information oh, good. from there for good. the book as well. So thanks for that. <laughs> oh, sure. Thanks. Um, thanks. Something we both noticed when we were recording yesterday, Atomic, and at the end, you know, when the, the mother turns the television off and the credits are on the TV screen, we noticed that they're the credits from Yours Very Deadly. What? Because at the bottom it says Colour by Deluxe and then it says we wish to thank the Los Angeles Post Office. Oh, my God. So really? does, that, does that mean that she was watching Yours Very Deadly or does that mean she was watching Atomic, you know? We just noticed that. That's very interesting. I didn't know that. I don't remember that. Yeah. Because, yeah. The, you know, we have stills of the Elizabethan version of the credits that shows at the beginning. We have stills mm. of those. But I don't remember it. So the end were they regular credits, regular lettering? No, you, by, yeah, at the she's end? talking about what they were watching on the television. Okay. That they were watching. Okay, yeah. So she oh, goes to turn the TV off. And if you pause it just before she turns it off, I'm like, what's that? So I went to compare it to the end of Atomic and it wasn't the same because I thought no. they would use the same credits. But this is this is how we are. This is yeah, how we are, guys. That's you incredible. Are, that's, that's when you're digging you too deep for us. I'm sure they felt that they had to use the credits from one of the real episodes, you know, because it was was just a happy accident. Because, I mean, the idea is that this is in the kid's head. So, you know, that shouldn't technically be what's on TV screen. So, you know, that's a good question. That's very interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the level of detail we get to. (laughs) That's very good. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Can I just ask you, I've always wondered with all the writers on the set, this was before the Internet. So where did you get all these references? There's references on references. If you have a look at our book, we list all the references. And we also did Poltergeist yesterday as well. And that has just got a full page of references. Give me an example of of the kind of reference you mean. A lot of them are movies, which is understandable, like Gaslight, The Exorcist, Tubular Bells was used. Black Bottom. Now that song... I would think that would be a very obscure song by Gertrude Rainey back in the 30s. Yeah. Um, there's so many. Part of it, you know, and, and it's funny because Jeff and I would take this same attitude with Duckman is we did what we called our 2% jokes, where we figured 2% of the audience is going to get this, but it rewards the people who are really paying attention. And we did that a lot on Duckman. We would have, you know, these obscure cultural references or, you know, you guys, by the way, are the ultimate. It started, it started on Moonlighting. We started we doing it. And by the way, well, yes, I, that's your reward. <laughs> yes. And I'll add to that, you guys. I think the real answer probably is that most of the people who write TV tend to be TV and movie fanatics. And so I think when you put a staff together, maybe throw an occasional editor or post-production in, you just have a bunch of people with a whole bunch of knowledge of all that stuff from the past. You know, most of them have watched a lot, retain a lot. You know, I think that's the ultimate answer. It's just a world we always have known real well. I think that's true of everyone on the show, I'm sure, you know. That actually brings up something which I I, I was thinking about earlier. 
But I remember, for instance, we would reference films like The Heiress and The Magnificent Ambersons. You know, I mean, that's when we were talking and, and, and whenever we were talking about, I remember with The Heiress, an episode of Carrie's, and she came in with, she was referencing, you know, that film about, about you know, Olivia de Havilland, who was not so beautiful, but she was rich. She couldn't trust the man, you know, who was who was wooing her. Things like that. It was a very cinema literate group, our staff was. Yeah, like yesterday in Poltergeist, like when we're watching the episodes, we're always like, where do you pull that out of? But um, there was something about Yankee Smart and Connecticut and Yankee Smart. And yeah, we were, we couldn't even put it together with the internet, you know? Yeah. And he mentions Cornwallis at Yorktown. Oh, Cornwallis and Yankee Smart. And so, yeah. And maybe it's just everybody sitting around saying, you know, throwing out references, throwing out, like you say, you know, just movie nerds, book nerds. I think we're just a bunch of people with all kinds of useless information and we're just waiting for a chance to get it out there somehow. You know, that was one of the shows that let us do it, I think, probably. But it's, uh, yeah. It's kind of weird. Well, it's also when you're in the middle of the process, it's weird what things come, what something will trigger a memory mm. of yeah. even something you studied in school. I mean, it's just weird yeah. how that happens mm. sometimes, you know. Were there any ideas or episodes that you wanted to do that never eventualized? Yes. Yes. There was a great idea, and it was Glenn's. I guess the season we never did, or else it was the last season. No, it, when- it was earlier. It was, I think it was the beginning of third season it came up, but uh, we couldn't pull it off. Well, what he wanted to do, you remember the original Toho production of Godzilla that took place all in Tokyo? Then when it was distributed in America, they cut in Raymond Burr. They cut in an American actor to make it an American film for American okay. audiences. And Glenn wanted to actually get the rights to one of the Godzilla films and have Maddie and David save Tokyo, you oh know, and, in. and it was a great idea. And, and you know what? Um, um, he brought in, oh God, who's the sci-fi writer? Ellison. Harlan Ellison. Harlan Ellison. And talked to him about doing that episode. They had a hard time getting the, uh, the rights. Apparently the person who owned all the rights to the American distribution was very difficult and so it just never it never happened but what was interesting is national inquirer came out with proposed episodes for the upcoming season and they had a few of our ideas in there so i don't know where we don't know who the leak was but the godzilla episode was in was in the that that article oh my gosh wow someone was making some side money you know selling (laughs) I think so. I think so. Yeah, that's interesting. To finish answering your question, we never thought that far ahead. It was always this week's episode, next Mm -hmm. week's episode. Yeah, you were still in the moment. By the way, not not that much side money. I just want to tell you privately. (laughs) Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. So what happened to the 3D episode? What was the story behind that? That's right. That's right. I I only remember that we talked about doing it, but I don't remember why it didn't happen. We never had a story for it. It isn't like... No, no. I think, boy, that would be a Glenn or Jay question. I think they might have looked into it and the idea of trying to get the audience to kind of get on board and deal with 3D. I I just think they found it a little unwieldy, but I'm actually not positive. I don't remember what happened with that. Um, I mean, we knew the idea was going around, but we never heard why it went away, I don't think. Mm. Because they mention it in one of the cold opens. Yeah. I think maybe even after we knew it wouldn't happen is when they mentioned. I, well, I can't remember. I'm not sure. I think Ron and I, because I remember writing a scene, I think toward the end, toward the end of the fourth season, just before we left, I remember writing a scene about David 
talking to Maddie about the baby. And I think Ron and I had an idea of a first episode of the fifth season that was going to be him helping her. And it's very different than what Glenn actually wrote eventually. I think we wrote a first act between, I think Ron and I wrote a first act and then we decided to leave. It was an episode mm-hmm. we kind of thought might be interesting, but, um, but I don't remember what the whole thing was. I remember one because we wanted to do radio. We wanted to do a show that was all black. Yeah. One of the show it was it was blacked out, and it also all we heard were the voices uh, and sound effects, and it would have been as if we listened to a radio play. Wow! Wow! But with we a reason to be like the power had gone out or something like that, we we yeah. would have a reason yeah, for darkness. But, yeah, because it was such a dialogue-heavy show, we wanted to do it completely about the words. You know, we would later pitch that same idea to the USA Network on Duckman. They said no, so then we did a like a four-minute uh-huh. scene that was all black. <laughs> But even then, because it took place in a restaurant, they said, well, you got to have an exit sign. So if someone comes across channel switching, they won't think they're watching a black screen. Yeah. So anyway, we got our bad version of that out later. If they needed Orson Welles to announce that the screen was going to go to black and white so people didn't freak yeah. out about yeah. the, the TV set. Yeah. I can't imagine a, a black screen when you're flipping Just through. black. But yeah. That's really Just interesting. Black, yeah. right. Did you guys uh, keep anything from the set at all? No. <laughs> no, not interested. I don't think so. <laughs> we always got swag. We had T-shirts. We had jackets. We had yeah. things to show that we Duff, could. A duffel bag, you know. Duffel Glenn bag. and Glenn got some nice gifts for the writers at the end of each year, like the jacket and duffel bag. I don't remember taking anything though. I have some pictures, but uh, no, no. So Grace, do you have enough moonlighting in your life? Shauna, I never have enough moonlighting in my life. You know that. Yeah, that's true. I I did know that, but, you know, it's kind of a rhetorical question. You know, after we do these episodes, sometimes I like to get online and chat about moonlighting a little bit more. You know where you can do that? Shall we tell the fans where? I think we should share where they can come discuss more moonlighting with us directly. Well, first of all, they can join us on our Facebook group, which is called Fans of the Moonlighting Podcast. And they can also search Moonlighting the Podcast on Instagram, on X, formerly known as Twitter, and YouTube. See you there. Did you go to the rap party, the final rap party at the very end of the whole thing? No. no. Um, and no. The, the truth is, which I shouldn't That's... admit here, I didn't even watch all of the fifth season. I just, I couldn't really yeah. wrap my head around it. I just... Where, um, was the, where was the final rap show? It was at the Coconut Grove, Coconut um, Grove Ambassador Hotel. Interesting. Did Glenn go? Um, did Glenn go? I don't know. We didn't ask him that. That's a good question. Yeah. Curtis wrote about it in his book. So that's how I kind of know about that. By the way, I like Curtis's book. It was good. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the killing off the baby was another choice. You know, it's like you're stabbing the heart of the, the viewers. How do you get comedy out of that anymore? A little bit tough. And we were gone by then. But I know, I know. Glenn, that was Glenn's, I think, one episode of that season. He that was like the probably, last thing he did. Yeah, he probably mm-hmm. was one step out the door at the time. And, and you know, Sybil's the reason he had to go. So, uh, you know, I'm sure yeah. that... No love lost at that point, you know. No, I know. We left and Glenn left, and it just wasn't going to be the same show anymore. Mm. So whatever story decisions had been made, I don't think it was ever going to be that. It wasn't going to be that same animal anymore. And I, I just uh, I couldn't quite get into it long enough to I, stay with it. I watched the first episode for that season, and I think I watched, there was a two-parter in prison, I think then, right? Yeah. Cool hand, Dave. That's season four. Yeah, okay. Season four, that when we were still there? Yeah. With the Gilbert and Sullivan, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Wow, interesting. I remember watching the song and dance and that I thought was pretty good, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Glenn often says too that once he left, he couldn't really watch the last season. Um, we felt the same and, way. And this is a segue for me into West Wing because Aaron Sorkin was the same. Once he left in season four, he couldn't watch the last three seasons. Yeah. So yeah. The truth about Aaron too is his ego was so great. I don't think he would want to watch it. It's, <laughs> <laughs> Careful, Grace. Once again, we also, you know, we grew on that show too, but he was he Grace. with others. Grace, 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 you've opened a whole other can of worms oh, for Ryan. Yeah. You've got to be careful of these questions. Gosh. No. <laughs> no, I won't go too far into it because this is about moonlighting. But what I wanted to know was, I know that Aaron was very particular about his scripts and there was always a very strict supervisor there and making sure they said exactly what he wrote. Otherwise, they'd have to redo the scene. So right. was, that, was there any of that on moonlighting? No, <laughs> not like that. No, they could play around no, with it. That would be an organized set. Um, <laughs> we, we didn't have that. Every show has a script supervisor, yep. and yep. it was her job to do that. So in that sense, yes, there there was, but not. Aaron was a little OCD about that. Oh, he was uh, very OCD about it. I know yeah. that. Yeah. The situation was very different, though, because, um, number one, you know, certainly for the first couple seasons, the actors were just great about doing the dialogue. And Glenn was very specific about them doing the dialogues. There was no ad-libbing on the show. They would find little, you know, Bruce would find a little bit of a whoop, 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 a little bit of a Three Stooges or a little something he'd throw in. Sometimes that was even scripted. But no, and I think if they ever went off script, I'm pretty sure script supervisor called Glenn and he would go down. But it didn't have to be that kind of regulation, really, because even the actors, as much as they might have been pissed off at the lack of time they were given or whatever, they did the dialogue and they, they liked doing it. I mean, they really knew that it was good, you know, frankly. I remember them calling from the set about changing a line. But again, it doesn't come from, you know, Aaron cracking a whip about it. It really came from the fact that those runs of dialogue, sometimes, you know, you pull a line out and suddenly it doesn't work. Yes. And I think the actors knew that too. You know, there was a very strict progression of the jokes and whatnot and callbacks and things like that. So... I don't think it ever came from them wanting to change things and not being able to. It was simply, it was a difficult thing to do. And they would check with us before they did it. Okay. There is a script supervisor who does keep track of the editors to lines changed from take the take. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Aaron, Aaron was his own story, Grace. He was yeah. his own thing, you know. He had... oh, one little story about Aaron and our relationship with him after we oh, left. Oh, no. Okay. He, um, you right. know, his, his next show is um, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, mm-hmm. right? About a Saturday Night Live-like show. And a, and in it, in his staff room, he has um, a team of hack writers named Ron Oswald and Ricky Tahoe. Tahoe is in Reno, you know? Oh, hilarious. And because he wow. has bugged his bonnet about, you know, us and, and being, well, we, we buttered heads. That's all I'll say. Oh. Wow. We, uh, we were there first season. The very short story is he had another show on the air called Sports Night. Yeah. So he brought us in to run West Wing with him. He first interviewed us for Sports Night. Remember that? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And we didn't we didn't take we did. it, but because it had been on a year and we, you know, the, but when then we saw the pilot of West Wing and he asked us to do that first season with him. And we thought, yeah, this is going to be the best show on the air, you know, and it was amazing. He's a brilliant writer. He's Absolutely. Brilliant. And um, he said, 
come in and help me run this um, because I've got sports night and I'll be spread too thin. But we ran the writer's room. So we did a lot of the story work. We had a staff like Lawrence O'Donnell, who's on MSNBC mm. now. And God, what's uh, Clinton's press secretary? Um, Whoa. Oh, Dee Myers. Yeah. She was. Dee Dee Myers. Thank you. Yeah. And five or six wonderful writers. You know, we just really great people in the room. And we sort of supervised that. And we came up with a lot of the story work. We each wrote a script, but he was uh, just not a guy that worked with other writers well at all. So with yeah. our producers from my very first job, Mark and Mindy in 1980, 81, we still yeah. see them twice a year and have yeah. fun together. And oh, I well. think both of them, they're probably very protective of their babies. As yeah, well. very much. And that's okay. We're for instance on Duck Men, but there's a way to bring people in and embrace yes. them. Yeah. And yeah. neither of them did that. Give yeah. the credit where credit's due instead of yeah having it reflect back on them. On Duckman, friends, my memory is we brought up the the staff to actually run the show. The last season of Duckman, Jeff and I were, you know, we we helped break stories and we would okay them and give notes on the scripts. But the staff was pretty much doing the show, you know, mm-hmm. and that was perfectly fine yep. with us. That's another thing I wanted to ask you both. You work so well together. So what's your secret? You work so well for so long on so many projects. Yeah. You Drugs. Witnessed, you, you work well together? You witnessed this? No. <laughs> Have you ever actually been in the same room together? <laughs> no, I've never, I've never met him in person. No. Never no. met him. No. <laughs> like Grace and I. No. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I may I you guys work together. I think we overlap, you know, obviously quite a bit in our in our comedy and in our in, in our influences. And things like that, you know. And then, of course, there's there's things we don't see eye to eye on, and we've had our pitched battles. But if you agree on everything, one of you isn't necessary, you know. And and it's um, you know, I think we have different areas of different strengths in storytelling and and joke writing. And, you know, yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of partners will tell you. I know we've met some over the years that have very specific strengths and weaknesses, and they really complement each other. I think Ron and I, I, he's right. We have, you know, definitely areas where we're not completely in sync. But for the most part, I think slightly different than a lot of those teams. I think our sensibilities and, uh, you know, our approach to things was very similar. You know, I think we always broke up scenes, you know, where we'd write them separately and then come back together and sort of help rewrite each other. We would always just sort of take turns on stuff. It was never like, oh, that's your strength. You do that. We would always go back and forth. And it always, you know, we, we absolutely argued a lot, but, you know, I think there was a general approach, which was just luck. I mean, you know, we met 45 years ago and uh, we haven't been on a show for five years, but we did great and made it last those first 40. And it's a little bit rare. And I, I don't think there's a, there's a single answer, but we just, there is a certain compatibility. We have a lot of the things that make us laugh are the same. And a lot of sort of our instinctive storytelling approach is pretty similar, you know, again, all kinds of disagreements, but I think in a basic way. I I think over time too, we influenced each other in that sense, you know, and and, and you kind of conform to the other person's thinking a little bit. And when Jeff says we broke up scenes, the uh, metric we used was this is an expositional scene. This is like, this, this is not, these are not the fun scenes and here's the fun scene or here's the opening scene. You know, like you wrote the opening yeah. scene last episode. I read the opening scene this episode. Things like that we always did. You wrote the Maddie David opening scene. 
this time. So I will write the, you know, or you do the car chase next time. You know, it's, it was that kind of thing a lot. So basically that was yeah. it. But otherwise we trusted each other to whoever was going to be doing it would do it, you know. A really simple answer that's grown over the years is that we retain a sense of humor about the whole thing. You know, obviously yeah. you can tell a couple of things have pissed us off over the years, but um, having a partner that you're in sync with has allowed us to kind of approach a lot of these situations, you know, with humor. We can walk out of the room and go, what an asshole. And we can joke about that. So that's helped a lot. We like laughing at this stuff a lot together and, and always did. And, and I think that's, uh, that, that has helped a lot, you know, and it's overcome. We have argued a lot over the years, but we always sort of get to laughing about stuff eventually. And that, that's a big deal. I think Ron probably yeah. has a different take, but we've always liked each other. You know, I think basically is, is a lot of it, right? So he's just nodding his head. Ultimately, I mean, obviously. I gave him the setup, but he didn't take it. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, early on, especially, we hung out together. We did everything together. We double dated, you know, and then. We each dated somebody else is what he meant. You know, just so they're clear. We saw each other more than we saw our wives for years. Yep. I mean, you can put sure. 14, 15 hour days in, you know? Yeah. I would agree with all of that. We're lucky. Yeah. yeah. So in, I think it was 2018, you guys posted a picture with Bruce Willis, kind of saying you're getting the band back together, Yeah. but not Oops. a certain detective show. Uh, but kind of was Oops. teasing at a project. Did you have something in mind with Bruce? It was a, um, an animated series. And it was one we were developing for a while. And in fact, we animated a uh, kind of a proof of concept or a test with an actor named Patrick Warburton. Oh, and it, yeah. was a, Putty. it was based on... Putty. That's right. That's right. It's based on a character that I found on the internet named Dick Profane. And he was basically a cop who just swore all the time. But I love the idea <laughs> of the cartoonist and asked if, you know, explained who Jeff and I were and... And if we could have the chance to develop it as a series, and we developed it as kind of a a spoof of the of the old Quinn Martin cliche shows, you know. Mm. But it was about a, a cop that I like to say had had a very large gun and a very small capacity to correctly assess any given situation. Who would you know accidentally kill ten bystanders to get to jaywalker, <laughs> and um, and he could, never, he could never he could never be fired because he saved the mayor's life. And it was, a, it was a great concept. It was a lot of fun. We wrote it pilot. And okay. um, we tried to sell it. MTV came close at the time, but then they stopped doing animation. We pitched it. And out of the blue, one day, I get a call from David Willis, his brother, who we worked with him on Moonlight. He used to actually, he, he was our kind of our office assistant. Yeah. And he would go on to co-produce and, and work on some of Bruce's films. And he said, uh, do you guys have an animation project? that Bruce could do. And and I, I pitched him this and, and he pitched it to Bruce and we had a great meeting with him. The picture that was taken was outside of CAA. And we met with Bruce and about an hour long. And looking back now, you know, I think David was doing this because Bruce was having trouble already with his ability to remember lines. And something like animation, where you come in and you read a script, would extend his career, if you will. Um, and yeah. while we were developing that, we had set up, uh, we were with a, a production company. We had pitched it at a production company. We were moving forward. And then we got the call from David that Bruce was going to retire. We didn't know yet why. And then a few weeks later, I think we heard why. 
Mm. Yeah, we heard more specifically. We had heard for quite a few years and, and noticed a couple things when we were meeting with him. But we had heard that he was having little cognitive issues um, on sets, that he was kind of working with an earpiece with someone giving him lines off stage. And uh, it was just so sad. He, he was such a good guy. So we he so enjoyed working with him. And he was he was willing to make fun of himself because this was, yeah. you know, this would be making fun of, of John McClane, really. This thing had been coming on for a while. And I just want to say it's just it's just the saddest thing. I, I was just so sorry to hear the, you know, we sensed some of it, but we didn't know the extent of it until we heard it publicly like everyone else. And, uh, you know, it just it's just incredibly it was, sad. But it was so exciting to think we were going to work with him again because the guy he could do anything. He could do drama. He could do comedy. It Very was, talented. Yeah. He was, really is. Yeah. We were having fun with his persona. It just was a perfect match perfect. Of, of content and actor. And yeah, it's sad. I think I saw an exchange on your site on Facebook one of those days that sort of um, it was talking about uh, this is something that Ron and I had always wished. Once Die Hard happened, so much of his career became. Uh, a little more strong, silent action guy. And uh, and I, I think someone maybe expressed it on your side. I, I can't remember. But we so wished that there had been more opportunities for him to be Cary Grant, to be yeah. David Addison a little bit more in movies. But he just didn't end up going. And you totally get why. I mean, he had a billion-dollar career with what he did, and he was awesome at it. But I always wished he would do more Addison-like stuff because he was one of those rare guys that could do both. And, uh, you know, too bad. But anyway. I agree. That would have been great. I mean, in Moonlighting, that's really the place where he could showcase all of that. But he could be the debonair guy in the tuxedo. He could be the action guy with the gun in his hand. He could be the drunk hanging from the uh, door. The drunk hanging from the door, the 1940s cornet player or Atomic Shakespeare, like in any genre that you put David Addison in, you know, Bruce is going to excel in that. I mean, there's a monologue that he does with Maddie's dad in Father Notes Last in the fourth season. I mean, oh. amazing. It's just like it's got to be one of the best monologues, you know, delivered yeah. and written for an actor. But yeah, he could pull that off. He could pull off the Stooges, you know. Yes. Yeah. He was so yeah. versatile. It was amazing. Well, yeah, I, I forgot it, when I was yeah. being, uh, knocked flat. Again, when he gets in the ring, I mean, he was he was almost like a Charlie Chaplin in The Kid, you know, where Charlie Chaplin's yes. in, the, in the boxing match. Yeah. And uh, it, he even watched it. I don't know. But uh, it, he was hilarious. He was physical. Mm. Even Sybil got to do a few punches, punching the big Yeah, big, that's right. Big, yeah, Russian. and probably probably loved that, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 How did your job roles change or compare from being writers to then being producers on the show? Almost none. What happens in TV, you, there's really just a hierarchy, and you start maybe as a staff writer or story editor, then you go to executive story editor or story consultant, and then – if you've been doing it a while or you're doing a good job, you get a producer credit. And so what's hard for you guys to ever know from the outside, there'll there'll be several people with producer credits or supervising producer or executive producer. And a lot of them are writers who have just reached that stage. A few of them are production people like Jay Daniel got, I think probably got an executive producer credit, right? Or did he just get producer? I think Jay probably got executive. And yeah, he did. So we got a producer uh, midway through the first season we were there. That was just it was contractual. contractual. So you reach that point. Oh, and then I, I think see. last season we got we got senior producer because we had 
sort of been doing a lot of the writing and um, it had been going really well. So it really is just an upping of the credit. So very rarely until certain executive producers are showrunners. You know, that's what Glenn was. That's what we were on a few shows later. If you're a showrunner, you get an executive producer credit, but you're in charge of all of it. That would have changed if we had if we had agreed to run the show when Glenn asked us to, then we would have been on the set, yep. overseeing that would have all changed. of that. Yeah, we would have been in casting. We would have been in post-production. We were never hmm. those things. I think, but I think basically the template was set. Well, I don't know what we call what season now, but by the time we did the trilogy with Mark Harmon, you know, we were all, we were almost, how to say this, we were among equals. All of us, you know, we would pitch ideas on the room and, and stuff. And and again, Glenn was busy at this point. He was pulled in a number of directions. He was doing his movies. So we basically had to make decisions that were already baked into our roles going back to when we were, you know, again, flying by the seat of our pants to put those last three episodes together. So it didn't really mm-hmm. change. Jeff and I would go on to run our own jobs where you're in charge of everything and responsible for everything. And that's both cool and frightening. And, yeah, and Glenn, Glenn asked us to take the show over. And that was frightening then because the mm-hmm. show was not well run. We were not show runners at the, yet. And to come in and try and fix something that was already broken and relationships already established, it wouldn't have ended well. That would have been tough. Very tough. Yeah. That was probably a decision to step out at season five. Yeah. Just yeah. quickly, uh, just something funny we noticed. At the beginning of Yours Very Deadly, there's obviously you have your credits, right? But what I noticed was it had starring XXX and then nothing. No written by, no directed by, no teleplay, no story by, nothing. So then the next episode, (laughs) it was inundated with credits. It had everything that we don't normally have because the teleplay didn't appear before that. But we just thought that was funny because something happened with those credits of Yours Very Deadly. Was Yours Very Deadly first season? No, third. That's the episode that Curtis Armstrong comes on initially. So I think it's the third episode of the third season. Yeah, so it was funny that they only had the guest stars and then nothing. And then the next episode's all creatures. It undated with credits. We were wondering what happened I don't know why that would be. Do you think that's just a a function of... Of the reboot on, I mean, uh, of doing it on Hulu or on DVDs. I can't imagine when it was on broadcast that they. Well, you have to have those things on there. Roger Director must have written that one, I'm guessing, because Bert Viola was his idea and he brought that oh, yeah. on. So I'm guessing that that was his episode. I can't imagine that broadcast at the time would have left those off. That's really mm. weird. I'm not aware of it. Shauna checked it on Hulu and it still wasn't there. Um, it wasn't there. Right. But then oh, we. I'm sorry, are, are, are you talking about the DVDs? Did you watch on the DVDs and it was that way? Yep. Well, but done. and Hulu, they're saying. Yep. Well, so, once again, you guys, I don't know. I, you know, I'm not sure why. That's that, that seems really weird. Because we pointed that out on the podcast, now they're adding it to Hulu. So they heard that episode and heard that the credits were missing and they're adding it now to Hulu. So that might be fixed. Well, what's odd is that they did show a couple of credits. Grace, you said a couple of early ones, and then they stopped? They just show the guest stars, that's it. Guest and then stars. It stops, yeah. yeah. That's very interesting. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I just I thought it know. was interesting. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. very. I didn't, I didn't realize. Yeah. We learned so much about our work talking to you guys. It's amazing. Yeah. I know, about your own show. Yeah, your own show. Uh, you have to come here to hear more. Yeah. 
Yeah, we don't know if it originally aired like that, if it was left off the DVDs on accident, and then on Hulu they didn't realize it. Now they do. It's supposed to be being fixed. We never got residuals off this show except when it ran first run, right? So Yeah. Because we never made a full order of 22, we actually made a lot on residuals. But on most shows, then the show goes into a first run syndication. And that's where we begin to make some really good residuals. And we never did. Now, in this last strike, they finally established some minimums on streaming of reruns. I have yet to see a dime from Moonlighting, you know? I've made tens of thousands on it, Ron. (laughs) But all these years, we still get residual checks from Mork and Mindy and Night Court and all these things, you know? Yeah. You deserve a big check coming in the mail for all the work you did and all the writing and everything. And guys, it's been so great thank you for spending half a day with us <laughs> very seriously it's really awesome that you guys are doing this you're into the show this much it's really fun talking to you about it i just love that you guys are fans like that we love doing this show we loved writing it. it was so much fun being part of something that was this special and I, I i love that you guys feel this way about it and it's really fun talking to you guys about it it is yeah. it is yeah so thank you for that yeah thanks you know? yeah and thanks and like, thanks for having us Thank you for a lifetime of joy from the show. It's just like a never-ending source of entertainment. Follow-up questions. Don't hesitate to you know shoot us an email or something. If there was something that uh, you forgot to ask or we're not clear about or you're listening and it doesn't make sense because sometimes Jeff doesn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true. Thanks for being so candid and uh, sharing all the information with us. We love it. <laughs> Thank yeah. you very much yeah. for being part of yeah. writing and writing those episodes and being producers on the show and all the work involved because the show has held up almost 40 years later and we still love the show. Thank you. We still watch it over and over. And thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for asking us, you guys. Really, we appreciate it. It's fun. Great to meet you guys. Thank you. All right. Well, until next time. I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. Thank you for listening to Moonlighting Moonlighting the Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.